You're listening to Speak Your Style, a lifestyle and business podcast hosted by Sasha Bowlby and Liz Toombs. Hello and welcome back to Speak Your Style. Today we are very excited to have a special guest with us. We have Alex Mason from Ferrick Mason. Um, she is majority owner of this company, which is an amazing textile company. So welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. So I don't feel like I will do it justice. Will you tell our listeners about all the amazing things that you all have to offer through your company? Yes. Yes. So, um, I started Farrick Mason in 2008 with Brian Farrick, and we initially started as hand silk screened fabrics in Los Angeles, where I was living. And um, since 2008, we have grown it to have all different kinds of printing methods. We do digital printing. We have some rotary printing. We have some outdoor fabrics. We launched wallpapers two years ago that we print in-house. So we print all of our wallpapers in Versailles. And we are getting ready to launch a new grass cloth collection in November. So I'm very excited about that. And we are to the trade. So our business model is to the trade. We are in about 15 showrooms throughout the U.S., and maybe three international showrooms or two or three some we never hear from so <laughs> now you said that you started out in california what brought you to kentucky because i was surprised when liz and i started talking about it that she said that you were in versailles so i am originally from lexington so i grew up in chevy chase and uh spent all my time there, went to Henry Clay. And then after college, I started out at USC in Los Angeles. And then I transferred to the University of Vermont. Then I went to grad school in New York, where I met my husband. And he was in the film business and he was working in Lord of the Rings. So we moved to New Zealand and got married. And then we went back to Los Angeles because for what he needed to do, we needed to be in Los Angeles. And I lived 12 years in Los Angeles. And I, when I moved to New Zealand, I had just finished my master's in painting at Pratt Institute. And uh, he told me, you cannot be a starving artist. You have to make money. And I thought, well, I just want to be a starving artist. I don't care about anything else. But uh, when we got to Los Angeles, um, a few people had said, you know, your paintings would make great textiles. Have you ever thought about doing that? And I thought, no, but I'll look into it. So there was a program at Otis College of Art and Design where Michael Smith, the designer who did um, the Obama White House design that he has a book coming out on it right now. He went there. And actually, when I met my partner, Brian Farrick, he had just worked for Michael Smith developing his textile line, Jasper. And so we connected and he knew about how to get everything done. He had all the connections of the experience of developing a textile line. And I kind of brought the vision and the, the artistic vision and um, the money actually <laughs> to start the company. 
I just want to take a moment and point out that I can appreciate that you're a Kentucky girl who has come back home. Thank Uh, you. I really, I appreciate that. Just bringing business back to this state and to our area. I know a lot of times the draw is to do like what you did, leave um, for school, you go and settle somewhere else, but you've come back. I try to encourage, I teach a class at UK and bring in a lot of students as interns in my company. You know, they all want to go here and they want to go there and they want it all which I get but I also try to instill in them the value in coming back and making your roots here and helping grow Kentucky and Lexington and and that area so kudos to you thank you well that's kind of the most fun part really I mean when I met my husband and he he's from North Carolina and he came to Kentucky for the first time he fell in love and my parents um, when I was in high school they moved to Woodford County. So we had a family farm and they built a house on the family farm in Woodford County. And he always wanted to come back here. And I knew eventually we would, but I didn't know when. It was a matter of timing. But once we had children and there was the pull for the grandparents, his parents were deceased. It was really about being closer to family. And for me, I felt like since I grew up in Chevy Chase and Lexington, I kind of grew up in a tiny bubble and I felt like, okay, I've been there, done that. I want a new experience. And I tend to like the new because my husband and I were, we were kind of gypsies for a while. We lived in New Zealand, Los Angeles, New Mexico, Australia, back to Los Angeles. So there was so much traveling that um, when I, when I knew we were coming back to Kentucky, I thought I want to, do a side of it that I I didn't know about and it would be feel new to me so coming ironically coming to small town Versailles and we settled in downtown I was like well this is great we can walk everywhere it is kind of a new experience and it's been really fun there's nothing like being home (laughs) (laughs) um I have a question when um I guess maybe when did you find your love of art? I know sometimes people will talk about, you know, they started at a young age and it developed and then some people find it, you know, in all different parts and timelines of their life. So when did you, I guess, maybe figure out that was going to be your thing? Well, actually it was when I was in elementary school. Um, I went to the Lexington school and when I went there, they had a week long or, you know, it seemed very long. It could have been two weeks. I don't know. I think it was a week long arts festival where they had artists. Um, they had visual performing artists come in from all over Kentucky. And it was, we didn't even have regular classes. Everything was about art. And we had intensive art classes leading up to the arts festival where we had to make a lot of art and paint with oil paint and I loved it. And I said, then I want to be a painter. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I didn't have any great skill. My parents were like, you're not that talented. You know, like what? Maybe you should go into interior design. I think my mother always had a love of interior design. And that's where really where she wanted me to go. And I think I could have loved that. But to me, it was about making things. And that's what really... I, I consider myself a maker because I still paint and I think, well, I'm making fabrics and wallpapers. Like I love just making things. Can you describe what your process is from start to finish? So obviously you 
paint something or, you know, create it. And then how does it go from that to being on a piece of fabric on someone's sofa or on the wallpaper? Like, what does that whole process look like? Well, you know, it's interesting. I really learned that whole process when I was at Otis College of Art and Design because they had textile classes and they taught the William Morris method of painting gouache repeats. So I learned how to use gouache paint there. And that's traditionally what textile designs are painted with because it's so opaque. And, um, you know, those assignments that I did at Otis were really the first designs that we had for Farrick Mason. And I kept those and those gave me a starting off point. And we, um, it was really with Brian who, said, okay, we need to hand silk screen these. So then, so you start with a pattern or you start with a design and I knew how to put everything in pattern repeat, which is very difficult. And actually, I mean, you can do it on a computer, but we wanted the design to look like it was hand painted. So if you do, if you start with a computer and do everything on computer, it's gonna look like it came from a computer. So we didn't want that look. So everything was hand painted or drawn by me. And then we hand silk screen it. You have to color separate it. And that is, you know, there's, it's a small, it's a small bubble of people in America who understand color separation for hand silk screening or for textile design. And so there was one guy in California who worked for all these interior designers who had their own fabric lines who knew how to do that. And since then, like I worked with people and trained them how to do it. And it's easy to do now with Photoshop and all these different computer programs, but it was, um, it's just a whole process that you always have to do when you're doing textile design or wallpaper is the color separation. And then we just would pick out a ground cloth, either linen or cotton, and then we have it printed and we order strikeoffs, which are the color tests to see how they look. And that is where you can get lost in a rabbit hole and never come out just by trying all the different color combinations. <laughs> I could totally imagine that. Yeah. And it costs so much money. I'm like, I can't afford to do any more color combinations. Mm -hmm. Eventually you just have to stick with one and go for it. Mm -hmm. so that's, it's that's so much more fun point. to like shoot the moon and have all these options. That's <laughs> uh, my favorite part. It feels like Christmas day. When those strikeoffs arrive in the mail, the first ones, it is joy opening up, seeing what they're going to look like. Did they get the colors right? Do they work on the linen? Do that, you know, it's just, you never know what you're going to get. And that's really exciting. So I know you said that the wallpaper that you have, you all print here in Versailles, but what about your fabrics? Where do those get printed for you? So we started printing in California and we still print a lot there. We also print in Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and uh, now Italy. And I had started out wanting to keep everything US made. And then, I was just sold. I had, we had this road rep who sold us um, Irish, or actually it was Belgian linen. So most of our, our linen is either from Ireland or Belgium. And he represented this company in Italy that did printing. And he said, you should really check it out. 
and they actually mill their own fabric. So they're weaving their fabric and printing it, which none of the other printers do. And it is just, the quality is phenomenal. It's beautiful. I'm in love with it. And I love this printer. <laughs> so now we print in Italy too. Now, where would you say um, some of your inspirations come from for the different uh, patterns that are on the fabrics and the wallpaper? Well, I would say a lot of them come from my paintings. So what I do, so my artwork, which is kind of out there and similar, but my artwork is inspired by nature and I love like a lot of lush plants and greenery and floating and movement. And um, I mean, you could think of Henry Rousseau and like the jungle paintings, but then I like to like have a lot of movement and dots. And over the years, I've created an iconography of kind of nature. And some of it's completely made up and the colors are made up and the shapes and forms are made up. But I just have developed that over the past 20 years. And I will take parts of that and introduce it in a fabric. So I don't know if you, I mean, I know people on the podcast can't see it, but I have a wallpaper behind me that's a dogwood paper. And it's one of our best-selling designs. And there's this random kind of abstract poof in it. I don't know if you all can see it. I'm point, oh, I don't know. Yes, yeah. But it's just kind of made up. It's part of the iconography that you'll see repeated also in this fabric behind me over here. Like this is the poop in our outdoor Ina. This is it in the, it's repeated over here in the wallpaper. So I just keep um, creating our iconography, which people will soon like recognize in the fabric and say, oh, that's a Farrick Mason fabric. Like I recognize that element or she does that all the time. So that's what I've really been trying to do over the years is make us stand out with our own look by creating an iconography. I think that's really cool. And I took screenshots so that we can share a photo of you with your beautiful work behind you. Oh, even yeah. People listening can't see it right now. So oh, cool. we'll okay. share that. Thank you. I know I, I've researched both your website and on your social media. Um, I know Liz is probably where she's in interior and all of that is super excited about talking to you today. And I'm super excited about it too. I originally started um, in interior design in college and then switched over to apparel from there. But I love fabrics and home decor and design. And I, know, I think maybe Liz and I maybe share a love for wallpaper um, to, you know, wallpaper. Oh. Yeah, wallpaper is one of those things I try to talk to people about and they're like, oh, I don't like wallpaper. I don't want to deal with it. It's not my thing. And I'm like, I would put wallpaper probably on everything um, if I, I could. <laughs> I'm, just a wall, I'm just a wallpaper girl. So when you, um, I saw one of your posts on Instagram when you had your first um, wallpaper order. How did that feel? Because I just, I know from like my retail side, even though I have clothing and accessories and all that stuff, everything is like my baby everything that comes in. And so when people order things, I mean, it just, it, it makes me excited. Like, oh, that's my, I'm shipping out one of my children today to somebody else. So I get very excited about that kind of stuff. So how did you feel when you had that first, you know, oh my God, we, we cheer, we scream, we still do. We got a 90 yard order of wallpaper today. And we're like, yay, 
Yay, it's the last day of the month. We got a wallpaper order. We always, I mean, we get really excited about big orders and we share the enthusiasm in the office because it is exciting. And the, the thing that is, is especially um, dear to me about the wallpaper is that I, so we don't, we don't do any of the printing in house for the fabrics. And um, part of the struggle of having your own textile line is that the profit margins are small. And I knew I wanted to have a wallpaper company, but I also knew that I wanted the process to be in-house so that we would have greater profit margins for that. Because it's, fabric, making fabric is so expensive that fabric itself is really expensive and the printing processes are really expensive and you have to add that together and you have to keep an inventory. And so, um, and this is kind of a long-winded backstory, but <clears throat> I think in 2014, a big company in North Carolina stole one of our designs and I spent four years suing them. And I started out with attorneys in California, then I went to attorneys, two different attorneys in New York, and then I finally got an attorney in North Carolina because the company was a big company that I know you all have heard of in North Carolina. And these attorneys were able to settle the lawsuit right before um, the statute of limitations expired, like the month before, or like the day before, like everything was filed. They settled it for the maximum amount of money that I could have gotten. And with that money, I took the leap and I said, I am going to buy a large fat format digital printer. And I knew nothing about it. And I just looked online, found one, bought it, had it brought into the warehouse. We were, we were, our first office in Kentucky was this tiny, you know, corrugated metal. It was almost like a garage because it was used for cars, like a, you know, a working garage before we were there. And they rolled it in and I didn't know how to use it. And I had to hire someone I had to find someone who knew how to use this unusual printer and then train them about what to do with the textile side of it. So it was really a leap of faith in that, okay, I'm gonna do this. Are we gonna make money on it? Like, is it gonna be profitable? Am I, am I gonna be able to do it? But the way that I do stuff, I'm an artist, I'm not a business major, is that I leap first and then figure it all out later. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I think I we're all just, in that boat. I leave first and then cry later and just deal. So yeah. I've learned how to like fix problems. I, I feel like a problem, so, you know, fixer. I look for the solutions. There you go. That's a, a true artist for you, right? A true creative. Yeah. Um, but talking a little bit about business, how, like, what specific ways have you had to change how you do things, if at all, as a result of COVID and, and the way that that has affected the industry and just business in general? Well, it's so interesting. I think um, because we are the product that, so for, so for instance, we have the showroom for sales, 
we're by appointment only because we are to the trade. And I think that because we are true the trade and we're a boutique line that is represented through multi-line showrooms, that they are actually thriving right now because they're the ones like, they're figuring out how to work with the designers. The only way that we've really changed is that a lot of the showrooms have been shut down in, during COVID. So we're sending out all the samples directly to the designers rather than the showroom sending them out. And we, my motto is that if a designer doesn't have a sample in their hand, then they're not buying. So we always have a full inventory of samples to ship that day. So we get sample requests, we ship to the showrooms or we ship to designers that day. And that is really new for us to do directly to the designers more. And we also during COVID started selling our memos on our website. And we thought it would be really for retail, but we found designers are just buying them. Even though we can send them, they could email us and we'd send them to them for free. They are just ordering them themselves. And we're like, great. <laughs> do you think that will long-term change your business model and how you'll do things going forward at all? Um, I, you know, there's so much talk. I read Business of Home all the time. And there's so much talk about the digital aspect of interior design and everything's moving to there's this new business model called material bank where they're trying to move everything digitally so can, designers can go to one place and order all the samples and get a package in the mail uh i don't see that working for small boutique lines i think it could work for a single large company like uh I mean, I'm blanking out of who I want to say, but um, it will work for the huge like Kravitz of the world, but not, it's not going to work for people who have small boutique lines. And I think that, you know, the showroom owners that I've talked to, they've been thriving right now. A lot of them are really doing well. So I think the model still works. And I don't think I'll be changing it for, you know, until it's broken, I'm not going to change it. Has it slowed down your production times on anything? I just know from like the retail, you know, my side of it, you know, everything was two to three weeks behind deliveries. Yes. And actually our, the biggest challenge is, has been in California because not only did they have serious COVID shutdowns, but then they had the wildfires and those were so close to them. They had to shut down for that. Then they had extreme heat, which they had to stop printing because it was drying too fast and clogging up the screens. So if for them, they have had the worst time and it's been one thing after another. And we were normally, it used to be six to eight weeks in the good old days. And now we say 15 weeks. And it might be longer than that. So people are getting kind of testy about that. But I think people just have to be patient. This is a luxury item. It's something that you're going to have, you know, you can have it for a decade or longer if you want to have. So it's just about being patient and waiting. You know, people, we're so used to immediate gratification. But I think part of the industry is really the designers in the showrooms and myself need to educate on why, you know, slow food's better than fast food. 
basically, you know, we're, that's what we're selling is the slow model rather than the fast model. So I like that slow food is better than fast food. <laughs> I've had to have a lot of those conversations with clients lately. Yeah. I have found that everyone is very understanding, you know, they, yeah. they just experienced the COVID situation. So they know. And so I think they're just happy to be working on their homes and yeah. planning and having hope and something to look forward to with what they're bringing in. But I ordered dining room furniture for myself yesterday and I won't see it till February. So <laughs> yeah, you're not going to make the holidays, yeah. right? Like people want it for the holidays. And I well, think and right now is a time where it was always crunch time normally to get your stuff in. If you started now for the holidays, but I mean, there is, unless you're buying something off of a showroom floor, it's not happening this year. No, it's but, not. Um, you know, I think patience is not my strong suit. So this is a learning <laughs> lesson. And I'm, as I try to instill it in my clients, I'm trying to do better myself. We'll see if it works. I don't know. Well, I think for our, you know, our culture in general, we're so used to immediate gratification that we all need to work on being okay with the patience and the way and, you know, enjoying it more because you've waited for it. You know, you can get excited, like, oh, I've waited for this for so long. I'm so happy it's here. You have an appreciation for it that sometimes you just take for granted. Now, I noticed through um, some of your other social media posts, um, it seems like you've had a lot of response from um, press um, in different magazines and things like that. Was there one um, area that you were featured in that you were probably, that you were like, oh my gosh, like, I can't believe I'm here or I'm featured? I, you know, for me, every press is like Christmas Day. I get so excited. I get so, so excited about it. But I really think the sad part is, I don't think it means as much to be published in the hard copy publications as it used to. And I'm worried about where that industry is going. I, there's been so much shakeup in the um, editors of all the home magazines. It, you know, everything's moved to digital. The, the generation gaps between, you know, who looks at, you know, there's a real change of the young designers coming up. They may never hold a magazine in their life. And I, don't, I live for magazines. I take way too many. And, hey, and I rip the pages out and hold on to them. I'm very tactile. They're all over my wall. I'm tactile too. They're on my walls. And so I don't know, you know, I don't know what that means anymore to pe even younger people, because I think that if you have an Instagram post that goes viral for something, that is the equivalent of what it used to be like to get press. Because we have people who will order samples directly off Instagram, or, you know, they'll want the memos or they'll want to buy it from Instagram or pillows or artwork. So I, I, that's one thing that I think is really changing the most is what is the function of PR? It's changed so much. I don't even think they know how to handle the changing landscape of what, because I used to have PR and it, I don't even know if I would ever get PR again, to be honest with you, unless they were specializing in social media. And I, I don't, I don't know. It's a hard, like to me, I feel like that's a whole different podcast of where is that going and how do we deal? 
Yeah, it really is. So I still get those home magazines, the Better Homes and Gardens, the Southern Living, all of those. And my husband really likes to cook. So a lot of times, you know, I'll show them to him and see if there's a recipe that he wants. And he picked one up the other day and he was like, oh my gosh, this is like all ads. And I was like, how do you think that 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 magazine was printed? They have to have those ads so that it can even be circulating because I'm paying next to nothing for the subscription, even though I love everything you know, that's in it, but yeah, of course it's ads, right? <laughs> right. And then sub- subscription levels are dropping. That's the problem. But I feel like I didn't even answer the question. The, I would say the biggest thrill magazine was world of interiors because in the design world, I feel like that is the, Oh my God, we're in world of interiors kind of magazine, which I'm embarrassed to say I've never had a subscription to cause it's so expensive, but I feel like I should get one now. <laughs> I'm laughing at myself on the inside because I just Googled what a memo was because I was like, they keep talking about memos and I don't know what a memo is. (laughs) I'm sorry if I'm using too much designer jargon. No, you're fine. I was like, I just don't know exactly what. So I had my phone here and I'm like, what is a memo in textiles? Now you can say you learned something, right? I learned something new today. Oh my gosh, that's hysterical. I'm with you though, Alex. I, you know, have been fortunate enough to have some work published or have some features in different local and regional magazines myself. And I always love having those in hand because again, the text, the tactile component and then framing them. And then I've got them hanging in my office. And so the digital stuff is cool too. Um, but I just, it's not the same, if that makes sense. It's kind of like holding a book versus reading a Kindle to me, if, if that makes I sense. I agree. I mean, I love, I, I, every, every time we get published in a hard copy magazine, I'm thrilled about it. I really am. Local, national, or international, it all, I get so excited for every publication because, you know, well, years ago, it was such a big deal. It was so hard to get published. So, I mean, I hope... I hope they stay around and I hope people still care about that, but I don't know what's going to happen. I think you're right that it is probably a whole separate topic, but like I um, listened to Toby Fairley, you know who I'm talking Uh, about, designer, her coaching program and listen to her podcast and all of those things. Yeah. Always like, you know, it used to be like a coffee table book or a magazine publication. That was a really big deal. And now it's, that's just not how it's going. You know, you can sink money into doing that and get nothing out of it and then right. you're a super successful person that's just showing up in a couple of digital media posts and they're you know wildly successful so right. I don't know. what does she say about that um she say? kind of and I'm going to paraphrase but effectively okay. that kind of stuff is more vanity um mm-hmm. things for her like an ego boost for you um which I would agree with to an extent you know it doesn't always equate customers Right. Um, and in fact, sometimes it can kind of scare them off, right? Because they think you're too big or too expensive or whatever they want to insert right. there. So um, she's like, get over it. Don't worry about it. You know, just do your thing and, you know, work within your your niche. So I think it's pretty interesting. I think that's a good point. I think find, knowing your niche is the key to success, really. And I think uh, a lot of people don't understand, like having a storefront in Versailles on Main Street and we're by appointment, people don't understand our business model and they don't understand how are we still here? How are we surviving? Because we don't have any customers that walk in and, and we never look like we have any customers. 
But I think, you know, I, I have gotten to, over the 12 years, know our clientele. Like, our clientele loves color, and I love color. So we have really expanded on delivering color and delivering vibrant designs that are a little bit different and unusual. And just finding that niche is what brings success because the textile wallpaper market is, I mean, so oversaturated right now because of digital printing. Every day, I, or, you know, once a week I get contacted by people wanting to start a textile line and I will talk to everyone because I remember how hard it was to get started. And I feel like most people have their own unique vision and people aren't just going to talk to you and then copy you. You know, I'll sue your ass if you do. <laughs> I've learned how to sue and I'll do it. I'll sue you and buy some new equipment, right? <laughs> exactly. I'll just expand after I sue you. But so I'd like to help everyone, but it is, it's, I, I mean, do you feel overwhelmed as a designer shopping for fabric and wallpaper? Because there's so much out there. Um, I don't, but I try to, to hone in and focus. And then if there's really nothing for a particular client in what I know, then I go outside of that. But yes, if I was just constantly swimming in the world of options and I'd probably never get anything done because I'd be so overwhelmed and confused. Yeah, I think there's some designers that feel that way just going into the big design centers in the bigger cities. You know, you can go into ADAC or in New York or in Los Angeles and you, it, people get completely overwhelmed by the amount of choices out there. There's a lot. Yeah, there is. There is. You are right. Do you feel that way, Sasha, when you're shopping for new lines or, or new pieces for the store? Is it overwhelming for you or do you have a good focus? Um, being now in it for, for four years, I, I remember the first time I ever went to market, I was so overwhelmed for all of the choices and all of this. I mean, if you wanted to buy a necklace, you could buy one necklace in one style and they had 50 different colors. I mean, it's so overwhelming, but it's, you know, as I've been in and I've learned my customer base, you know, I really know what they're looking for, what styles they want. So now I feel like it's a little easier, but, um, you know, thinking of, of future things and, you know, adding things to the store that makes me nervous because I'm like, okay, if I want to get some home things for the store, that's like a whole new ball game. I, you know, it would be so hard for me to go in and pick and choose what I'd like to have or what I think, you know, people would want. So, um, I think it just, it depends, but it changes all the time. You know, people change their styles and their likes and but I think you're right talking about you have to figure out what your clients want and know what they're looking for and kind of keep serving them up variations of that or along those lines. Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, especially with COVID right now, I've had to do a whole pivot of, you know, what my customers want to buy. You know, a lot of people are working from home. Um, a lot of people want more casual. You know, I didn't have overly dressy items, you know, I kind of had good work, work wear and everyday wear, but it's like, okay, now I have to try to find some casual work from home pieces. And I mean, it's, it's always comfortable. Yes. Comfortable is like the new thing. So, um, it's just always, it's always changing. So, you know, you, you can't be, you can't have your mindset on one thing because if you do, it will never, it might work for the moment, but it will not work long-term. Yeah. I agree with that too. I think things, yeah. 
which I'm a total creature of habit. I mean, I like to be creative and I like to do things, but I like to have my routines and my processes. So my head blows up a little bit each time I have to change too drastically. <laughs> I agree with that too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, it has been so fun to chat with you, Alex. It's really, it's just great to see your pieces behind you and to learn more about what you have to offer. And I will be reaching out to schedule an appointment Yay! to visit you in person. Yeah, um, yeah, come see us at the showroom. Get the yeah. door. Yeah, I'd love to. I'll get my team together. There's three of us total. So we'll come down and, and make a trip out of it. But let people know um, how to connect with you, whether it be social media or whatever. How are some ways that they can find you? Okay, so on social media, I have two handles on Instagram. Alex K. Mason, which is my artwork. And then Farrick Mason is the wallpaper and fabric. And I really, I try to keep it um, just those things. I know a lot of people love to share their personal lives. But I enjoy following all interior design and just seeing interior design when I'm looking for that. So it's pretty much, you see my dogs on both of those things, so that's it. I don't really show my family. <laughs> that's all right. That's okay. And our, then our, our website is farrickmason.com. Oh, good. Yes. The website will be good to look up to for people. Yeah. And Alex K. Mason for the art. Awesome. Okay. Well, so we end our podcast the same way every time. So we gave you a little bit of a, a heads up about this at the beginning. But I would like to know in one word or just in phrase description, how you would describe your personal home style. Okay. Well, I need to think about that. Okay. Well, I have an obsession with buying furniture at auction oh <laughs> maybe not a great thing but it's good for the showroom because we I often upholster pieces so things are kind of always evolving in my home because you don't always know when you're gonna win an item on an online auction and when you're not mm -hmm. so it's a surprise sometimes and I would say because of that love or obsession it makes things very eclectic but also I would say there it's eclectic, but there are a lot of antiques. There's a lot of mid-century because that's what you find on online auction. And then you've got all this crazy color of pattern. I mean, it's just like a riot of pattern and color in my Is home. it your patterns and colors? Yeah. Or do you keep on it on everything? Okay. On everything. And I always want to change things, which makes my husband crazy. So I'm constantly changing and i have dogs that destroy things you know it's kind of like a mess of things destroyed by the dog and new like things i've won at auction and crazy color and pattern everywhere so i don't know what you would describe that eclectic but <laughs> that's I like the sound of that <laughs> i wanted to come over <laughs> well, sometimes it's a mess we are actually renovating our kitchen right now so that's really exciting and um that will be serene and calm, I hope, compared to now, everything else. We'll switch from home style to personal style. How would you um, explain your fashion sense or your fashion style? So, you know, I feel like I have three personas when it comes to fashion. I have my studio persona where I'm working and I wear my paint clothes that are clothes that I've ruined and you know worn out and ruined and then i just ruin them more with paint so that's one look it's like old ratty clothes that are really beyond and then i have the come to work look which is usually always jeans 
And then I'm always cold. So I have to layer with vests and coats and boots in the winter. So, you know, for me, it's about being comfortable, but casual. And I like jewelry. And um, so that's my day look is casual with layers usually and jewelry. And then I like, and then there's my work persona, which back in the day when there were work events to go to, I would dress up and put on a dress and put on a skirt and heels and like to do that. And I'd say that look is, I feel like I look better in solids. I don't wear a lot of pattern. It's unusual for me to wear pattern. I like a monochrome solid on me and usually long sleeves because I'm cold and a warm coat and a scarf because I'm cold. I mean, now that we're going into fall, boots because I'm cold. So I, I dress for the weather and I'm often cold. Even like if it's below 80 degrees, I need something long sleeve on me. <laughs> Sounds like you've got some great combinations. <laughs> I know it's and it's kind of out there too like my home you, you would be surprised to see me I don't you know I went to school in Vermont so I've got this hippie side of me I lived in California and was in a sorority at USC and I have this sorority girl side of me and then I have the artist side of me so it's kind of all over the place I like that though I like that <laughs> well Alex we are so thrilled that you joined us um today and I know I may be speaking for Liz too, but uh, we've learned a lot um, about the process, about your business. Um, I'm looking forward to, I know Liz is too, to maybe coming by and checking everything yeah. out and meeting you in person. Um, we normally do a lot of our podcasts in person, but I'm operating out of Eastern Kentucky right now. Um, so Zoom is kind of our, our way to uh, still do that. Um, but we, we appreciate you joining us and, um, we know our listeners will enjoy it as well. So we thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. I have enjoyed this so much and I love getting to meet you. It was really fun. My first podcast. Oh, well, you did great. If that was yes. You did really well. Well, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Speak Your Style. Your feedback means a lot to us. Please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have any feedback or special requests, you can direct message us on social media. You can find me, Liz Toombs, and my business, PDR Interiors, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can find me, Sasha Bowlby, and my business, Sasha Bow Boutique, at Facebook and Instagram.